everybody. Or as we'd say in the, my favorite tribal dialect that we learned while we were in Africa, Awali Botlum, which means good morning to you all. You might want to practice that one a few times. It's kind of hard to, to get out. Privileged to be with you this morning. Uh, Sharon and I came into town a couple days ago, and I have to say this church has done food really well for us. The two times that we've come and participated in the Friday evening fellowship time, we have eaten really well here. So I always look forward to coming back, uh, partially for selfish reasons, but also because we, we really do enjoy being with you. Uh, you're going to see a picture here in just a moment of my family, and I uh, just want to introduce them to you quickly here. So you're going to hear more from Sharon in the service, so I won't introduce her right now, but... Uh, on the far left over here is our son Josiah and then Micah. They're both staying with us. Uh, they're both, Josiah's going to be starting university next year and Micah's finishing up his degree. And then my daughter Krista is at Palm Beach Atlantic University, all in Florida, which is really nice. We live on the, not only the same continent, but now in the same state with our kids, which is really great. Um, so yeah, how great it is to be with you this morning. We started, I think, in 2015 with this church, and you were meeting in a movie theater, and there were some echoes, you know, resounding, but like, to see this, this room packed out today is wonderful, to see the way God has blessed this church and the way you continue to grow, and it's been a real privilege to be a part, an extension, really, of your ministry working in Africa over these years. We've been able to serve in uh, northern Mozambique, in Kenya, and also in the Central African Republic. And now we find ourselves, uh, for at least the next short season of our lives, here in the United States. We're not sure how long that might be, but we're serving in Brazil right now as team leaders, helping to lead a team of Brazilian missionaries reaching out to African immigrants who have moved to Brazil. I know it's crazy. But it's a, it's a privilege. Uh, we started learning Portuguese in Brazil 23 years ago, and in a lot of ways we see that God has brought us full circle. We had to know Portuguese in order to work in Africa. It, it's, it's crazy, but it was colonized by Portugal. It all makes sense in God's scheme of things. So, yeah, great to be with you this morning. We, we had the privilege of going out to the Kinberg's house yesterday. I felt right at home driving on the dirt road up to their house. There were chickens greeting us and goats. Uh, it was great. We had a great time fellowshipping with them. And I actually asked Joel, I said, like, how long should I expect to, to be sharing this morning? He said, you know, anywhere between 30 and 45 minutes. And I have to tell you that in Africa, uh, there, I've been in a lot of places where there hasn't been electricity. Uh, I remember one time asking one of my friends, like, what time should we meet up? And he kind of, you know, pointed at the sky as if to say, when, when the sun's around there. So I'm going to do my best to get you out of here, you know, sometime today around. That's, I'm just joking. Some of you didn't find that funny. All right. Well, as we get started this morning, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we do thank you for this day that you have created. I thank you for each and every person that's gathered here today. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would um, just have your will be done. We invite your Holy Spirit to be very present and real amongst us today. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles and you'd like to open those up uh, to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. The text is also behind me. 
And we'll be reading from Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. The title of our sermon today is The Light of the World. And this is a great time to be thinking about Jesus as the light of the world, but we're going to see some, some different thoughts connected with this concept, light of the world, today. So let's read together from Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. All right, so this comes from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And just to set the scene so that we understand what's happening in the context, uh, the followers of Jesus, his disciples, and we believe a lot of followers that were, were active seekers of him have gathered probably off of the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, on the hill slope that was there. And Jesus, the rabbi, is giving his inaugural address as king. And he is expounding on what he expects of members of his kingdom in order to be genuine followers of him. The Beatitudes have just been spoken prior to the text that we just read. And in those Beatitudes, we see what it means to be a true and genuine follower of God. To have a heart that is eager to line up with God's kingdom values. The last of the Beatitudes uh, <coughs> says this. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Now, that is the verse just prior to the, the text that we, that, we came, uh, that we used this morning. And the normal natural response for us as humans in the face of persecution is that we would want to retreat. We would want to regroup, maybe regather, think it over a bit. You know, try and, and, and spend some time alone maybe. But what Jesus is telling us in the passage that comes right after the Beatitudes is that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He is giving us that command that we are to go into the world. We are to be counterintuitive. Instead of retreating, we are to engage in the world. We are to immerse ourselves in this world that is dying and desperately in need of the message that we have because we bear the light of the world in our hearts. Jesus says that you are the light of the world. And before we even go any further than that, I want us to focus on the word are. You are the light of the world. Jesus is hereby declaring that any of his followers that have lined themselves up with those kingdom priorities and values that were listed in the Beatitudes. Anyone who is a genuine follower of God and wants to serve him with all their heart. And I would say to any one of us today, if you are a follower of Jesus and you have placed your trust in him alone for your salvation, depending on him alone for the forgiveness of your sins, then this morning you are hereby declared to be the light of the world. And I want us to notice there's a difference. You know, uh, it, our natural human uh, thought might be that, well, I need to wait until maybe I get trained in evangelism. 
Or maybe, uh, you know, the main light-bearing part should reside with the pastor or with, or with the missionaries. But no, Jesus is saying to you today that if you are found in Christ, if you are a follower of him, you already are a follow. You already are the light of the world. Now, light. A few observations about light and m- maybe lack thereof. I don't know if any of you have ever been on maybe a camping trip where you've had zero light or a complete blackout at your house. Okay, a few hands. Uh, you know that it can be dangerous without light. You're bumbling around in the dark. You might stumble into something. There's creepy crawlies. I know in Africa we lived in places without electricity and, and Sharon would always keep a flashlight next to her in the bed in case she had to get up and, and go to the bathroom at night because, yeah, we had scorpions, we had centipedes, we had rats that somehow thought our house was a nice place to live as well. And so uh, a world without light is a dangerous place. And I think that Jesus wants us to realize that the world without light is a dangerous, scary place. And Jesus uh, uses the light metaphor with two illustrations. The first illustration he says is that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot to us here. Maybe you've seen the glow of, of Dallas or Fort Worth, but it hasn't meant as much. It wasn't as significant to you as it would have been to Jesus' audience in the first century as he spoke to them. Okay, so uh, to a Jew during this era, they probably avoided traveling at night as, most, as best they could. But if they did have to get from one village to the next or one town to the next at night, uh, it wasn't like the movies where you see they always have a torch and they're like going on forever with this torch that never seems to burn out. More likely, they would have had to walk with the hope of the moonlight or some starlight to try and make their way to the next town. It probably was a dangerous thing to do at night. And you can imagine for, for somebody coming up over a rise and seeing the glow on the horizon of a distant town and knowing that you're getting close, knowing that warmth is not too far away, no, giving you that orientation of which direction am I going, making sure you're, you're headed in the right direction, that that was a very welcome sight. Uh, archaeologists have discovered this town that is just... Uh, off of the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's called Hippo Susita. And many theologians believe that this was probably a town that Jesus maybe was referring to in the Sermon on the Mount. And you can picture Christ sharing with, with his followers and actually gesturing to Hippo Susita as he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. The second illustration that Jesus uses in uh, this passage that we have today, he says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, I forgot my little uh, lamp that I, I, uh, I left in Florida, unfortunately, but it's only about the size of your palm. And it was a small clay lamp that they would have used during this time. They would have filled up the mouth of it with olive oil, and there was a little wick that would come out the end. I was surprised how small this replica was, but they would set that on a stand in the middle of the room, in their living room, and everybody would gather around when it was time to eat. Um, they probably didn't stay up all night watching, not w- no movies to watch, of course, so they would hang out and talk for, for some time, but it would provide warmth and ambiance and uh, safety for those that were gathered in that room. And so, uh, to Jesus' listeners on the Sermon on the Mount, this would have also been an illustration that would have rung true to them. 
So the, the idea is that light is a very good thing in a world of darkness. Now, to Jesus' original listeners, the metaphor of light would have brought out, it would have evoked other thoughts from the Old Testament. A lot of his listeners would have been very well acquainted with the words of the prophets in the Old Testament. And so to a Jew during that time, light was symbolic of knowledge, truth, revelation, and love. Those were all concepts that were connected with light based off of passages from the Old Testament. We're just going to look at a couple of those uh, from the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 50, 51 verse 4 says, My justice will become a light to the nations. And in Isaiah chapter 60 verse 3, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And I love to see God's heart for missions, even back uh, in the Old Testament. All throughout Scripture, you see that God had a heart for the lost from whichever people group they were from. Matthew himself quotes Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, when he says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So with the light metaphor, the world is pictured as a spiritually dark and dying place, desperately needing the light of Christ. Sharon has a story, and she's going to come share that with you, where she came to more fully understand about the light of the world. Good morning. Let me know if you can hear me okay. Um, it is really just so special for us to be able to be here with you guys. We're so grateful for this church. Um, I just wanted to share a little um, part of my own testimony, my own walk with the Lord um, as a missionary wife, mother, um, living in a small village. Um, this story goes all the way back. The Lord works in our hearts. All of us who have walked with the Lord and served him realize that most of the time it's about him doing a work in us um, and then he does America, uh, miracles on his own <laughs> and it's amazing to be a part of what he's doing but to see that most of it happens in our own hearts where he shows himself to us and this was a big part of my story um, as a young mom um, I had three little children we were living in a village without electricity and running water and um, we were about five years into this journey um, as missionaries, and to tell you the truth, um, I was trying to homeschool, I was trying to survive my days, um, and honestly, putting a meal on the table felt like a complete victory. <laughs> like That was my great thing for the day, um, and I began to really you know, struggle in the depths of my heart and say, I can't do this anymore. I can remember the words coming out of my mouth. I just want to go home to my mom, you know. <laughs> She'll take my kids for a while and give me a break. And, you know, I just needed um, some support. I felt very alone, um, and I felt overwhelmed. And I said the words many times, too. I'm just living like this, you know, this mom that's barely making it. I could do that in America a lot easier. You know, I'd like to just go back there. Um, why am I here? And I asked the Lord over and over, why me, Lord? I am not cut out for this. I, I don't think this is right for me. 
I was really struggling um, to stay where we had really heard the Lord say, go and be. And so um, on a particular day, um, we lived in this town with two different people groups. These two people groups coexisted because one group were fishermen and the other group were businessmen. So they worked together. However, that was the only thing that worked well. One group were Islamic in, in um, religion and one group were more Catholic in religion. Um, one group was one political party and the other was the other political party. And on this particular season, it was um, elections, which seems to cause issues all over the world, doesn't it? Um, and this election didn't go well. Rarely do they go well. Um, and in, on these days, um, the, the people group that we were living amongst um, became very angry that their, their person had not made it, and um, a war broke out. The, the people all around us um, took up anything they had, machetes, bows and arrows. Um, there was a whole group of people that actually overtook the police station, and, and there, there weren't too many weapons, but the weapons that came out were spread around and um, so there was gunfire going off. People were um, breaking down doors. So if you can just picture with me. Um, oh, I forgot to say this. I had a four-year-old. Our daughter was four. She's our middle daughter. She was turning four that day. Um, it's funny what the Lord gives you to, to keep you sane. Um, and he knew I needed something because... I was not gonna let anybody take her birthday from her. And so that was my weird like focus. I was gonna bake a cake for that girl. And so in the middle of all out crisis, I, we had this closet in our room. I'd put mattresses in there and put my kids in there. My, my baby was one year old. Krista turned in four and Micah was six. Um, and so I had you know, put books in a little DVD player and I was trying to make it like a play day for them. Um, all our neighbors all around us are fleeing to us. They are coming over. We have a bamboo fence. They are just, they're throwing anything of value over the fence. Um, children are coming up over the fence. People are grabbing kids as they come over. Mattresses, TVs, anything people had of value was just coming into our yard. Um, people were pushing our fence up and crawling under. And so you can imagine with me, we, I could see through the slots of our bamboo fence, men walking by in Muslim garb with machetes. They stopped to sharpen their machetes on our well right outside our door. There's gunshots going off. There's smoke rising. They were knocking down doors all around us, burning houses. And I, um, oh, back up a little bit too. I was homeschooling at the time. I had this book I'd been reading my kids, Sunlight Curriculum read my kids missionary moments with the Millers. So <laughs> I, I no longer read that book, but um, it was a, an amazing book of these stories of missionaries that went through awful experiences. And every one of these stories had these beautiful endings of this peace that, that these people got. And they just were they went through these experiences like heroes. And so I kept thinking, you know, any moment, something's gonna happen and I'm gonna look like those heroes. And it didn't happen for me. I can tell you, I, I, could, I couldn't stay still. I was so 
terrified. I believed at any moment they were coming through our door. We were harboring everybody. Our, everyone was in our yard. We had about 80 people coming to us, you know, harboring with us. And I just believed any moment we, were, we would be taken. And so um, I, I kept, you know, just seeking the Lord, like, God, give me something. I couldn't, I tried to sit down, and I couldn't sit down for very long. I, I had this cake to bake, so I had that at least. And then so I was running. I was running between my kiddos, make sure they're okay. I'm trying to get this cake baked. And then I have all my neighbors coming to us. Some of them are, are as freaking out just like I was and, you know, trying to pray over people. And um, anyway, mass chaos. Um, the story goes on. But eventually um, the military brought in their troops and were able to secure the roads um, and as a family, after these days, um, we were able to leave the town uh, to seek some just rest. And I went through a complete crisis of faith. I said to the Lord, okay, definitely I'm not supposed to be here. What is wrong with me? Do I, am I a Christian? I asked that question. Am I not supposed to have some kind of faith? And, some kind of serene peace that you give, and I am a total mess. And I really began to question God and myself and my own heart. And Steve was sharing um, in a church, this was a few weeks later, he was sharing in the local church where we had gone to just get away for a little while. And as Steve stood up and shared this story of what had happened, I was sitting there listening to him, and I, this picture is so, so huge to me because I saw an image of the wings of God covering our yard and all our house and all of those people. Not one of the people in our yard were followers of Jesus, not that we know of. Not one of them had turned their hearts to the Lord. They were people, um, major, everybody were Muslims that we know of. None of them had come to the Lord. But do you know that? Not one of the people who harbored in our compound, our yard, in our house, not one of them lost their home. We had over 100 houses burned all around us, our little area, where 100 houses were burned. None of the people who harbored in our yard lost their home. None of them lost their lives. We did have, you know, people, Steve had to take neighbors to the hospital, hacked up, but nobody lost their lives. They were. They, they, their things were saved, their children were saved. And surprisingly, it had nothing to do with my faith. I suddenly saw, oh, I was a complete wreck and I thought I'm this failure. And I suddenly saw from the Lord that, wow, it has nothing to do with my faith. It has everything to do with God who is the light of the world. And I suddenly, you know, had this complete revelation, which sounds so silly as a believer, that I could see for a whole, in a whole new way that he was manifesting his light, his grace over people that were not seeking him because he loved them with all of his heart. And he was genuinely displaying his glory and his light into a people group who were not seeking after him. He was pursuing them. And it just drastically transformed 
my whole vision of what, what we were doing there. I suddenly realized obedience was just simply saying, okay, Lord, you know, I'll be in this spot. And I, I can do that. I can be in this spot. But please, Lord, you know, work through us and allow us just the fact that we were there, the spirit of God was in us and he was at work. And that was such a beautiful testimony to me. And from then on, I began to see that being a follower, those of us who are here, follower of the light of God is simply getting to say, oh, this phrase that John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's what we get to do. We get to say, we're on this journey together. We are not like some special people. We're on this journey. And we get to say, look, look at the light of the world. He is the one that we get to know and represent. Mze Alidi was a blind beggar who was stuck in both physical and spiritual darkness. Now, where we lived in northern Mozambique, every Friday morning, people would come to our gate, and uh, they were beggars. It was the day to give alms to the poor. So we would often have, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 people would come. And it was a, it was a cool little family ministry. We'd open up the gate, and we'd have uh, some tea ready and some small pieces of bread to give out, and we would share a Bible story with them. But Mzea Lidi and his wife, being led by his chain-smoking wife with a stick, would come into our yard a little bit later in the day, and they would plop themselves down under the shade of the mango tree on the steps right outside our back door there, and uh, <coughs> we would sit and talk with him. Mzea Lidi was a very colorful character, had all sorts of personality, and at some point, uh, Sharon would get up and go back into the kitchen and get a little bag of rice, maybe a little jar of oil, and bring it back. And as they would sit there, uh, he, Sharon would hand it to Mzea Lidi, and he'd feel it and talk with his wife a little bit about what it was. And then it's, he started asking me for more things. And at one point, he was like, I, I need toothpaste. And another day, it was, I need a new pair of pants. And I have to admit that I got to a point where I started kind of dreading his visits because I was just bracing myself for what else is Mzea Lidi going to want today. Now on one of these Fridays, he walks in, plops down, and the first words out of his mouth were, I want to join your religion. And I'm thinking, red flag, okay, what does he want today? This has got to be some kind of manipulative tool. So I, but I thought, well, if he's saying that, I'm at least going to take the open door to share the gospel as best I can with him. So I shared some scriptures with him in, in, in the language, and, and uh, <clears throat> I told him that it's not about following a religion, it's about knowing Jesus and following Jesus and having him as your Savior and trying to explain those things to him. And he says again at the end, yes, I want to join your religion. I said, okay, Mzealidi, what is it that's brought you to this point? And he said, last night I had a dream, and in my dream I saw a very bright light and there were two angels, and those angels said to me that the path of Isa, which is Jesus, is the path toward truth and toward heaven, and that I should come and speak to the missionary about this. Well, I repented of my bad attitude right there. I got goosebumps from my top of my head to the bottom of my feet, and it was a privilege to be able to walk with Mzealidi as he chose to follow Jesus. And I don't know exactly where he is to this day. Uh, a war came to the town where, where we had lived, and uh, Mzealidi had to flee. I don't even know if he's still living, but 
It is interesting when we look at stories throughout the Muslim world, how many God is bringing to himself through dreams. And in those dreams, interestingly, almost every one of them, it seems like, has light as a, a key component to that dream. And usually there are angels or Jesus himself is appearing to Muslims in these dreams. And I suppose it shouldn't be a surprise to us because Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And you may be wondering right now as this sermon is progressing, like, wait, I thought you were saying that we, the followers of Jesus, are the light of the world. Now you're trying to tell me that Jesus himself is the light of the world. Well, make up your mind, preacher. Which one is it? Well, I think that there is a a clear explanation for that. In and of myself, Steve Entwistle, I don't have a whole lot of natural light to offer to humanity. I don't think I'm going to be this great beacon of hope or a great beam of light, uh, you know, solving the, the cancer fix or, or like come bring peace to world wars. I don't think that's going to come from me. But I have the light of the world in me who is Jesus. And in as much as I reflect Christ to a spiritually dark and dying world, yes, I have the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. It is our job to reflect him. That is what we are to do. Jesus is the only one who can represent hope for all eternity. He is the only one who can give us purpose for each and every day of our lives. He is the only one who offers forgiveness for the most terrible sins that we might commit. He alone is the only one who offers adoption for us as children into the family of God. He alone is the one who offers power over sin and death and darkness. He alone is the one who offers steadfast joy in the midst of turbulent, troublesome times. And I know this church has walked through a year of troublesome times. Jesus is the one who can help us through those times. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? If you are a follower of Jesus today, he is in you. Your job is to reflect him out to the world that desperately needs him. Returning back to our text, it says, let your light shine before men. Let your light. I like that word, let. It's not a case of muster up some light and go out there and make a difference or generate some light and go save the world. And it doesn't mean that we have to wait until we feel light-like. Now, I don't know about some of you other men out here. Maybe you're in my age range in the, in the midlife crisis era here. I never thought that was for me, but I think maybe it's, it has actually happened, surprisingly. It's been a tough little season of my life. Uh, there's been a lot of losses in my life. I lost my dad, who was my mentor and my friend a couple years ago. Um, Having to pull off of the front lines of ministry felt like a loss in a lot of ways to me. We get to encourage others who are doing that, but for us, we've, we've pulled back just for this time. Uh, I used to be pretty good at sports, and I find that I'm not as quick or as good as I used to be anymore. And maybe like, like me, some of you don't feel very light-like 
when you wake up some mornings. But I think the good news for us is this, that God might be using you even in this dark, hard season of your life and maybe even in a more powerful way because of your suffering and your loss and your tears to reflect his light to the world. Maybe it's because of the suffering and the tears that you're going through that you are going to be more effective as light bearers of God to people who are likewise going through hard times in their lives. Never count yourselves out because you don't feel light-like. You already are the light of the world, and God wants to use you if you will allow him to reflect through you. So how do we do that? The scriptures that we have say that let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. As the book of James teaches us, our faith needs to be accompanied with action. Now we need to be careful here. Jesus goes on in the Sermon of the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, to say that we are never to do our deeds so that men might praise us. Okay? The motive of our heart needs to be in worship of the God that we serve. But yes, we need to have faith accompanied by good deeds. And what are those good deeds? Those are good deeds of kindness. Those are, are gestures of goodwill, helping neighbors, reaching out to coworkers, uh, praying over people that don't know him yet. We are to be light bearers in this way. It's not only, it's not just uh, posting something real positive on Facebook or, or putting a sign in your front yard that reflects God. Those are not bad things, but I'm saying that the scripture is teaching us that we are to have good deeds that will draw people to God, to relationship with God. <clears throat> so it's by word and by deed that we proclaim the gospel message. All right, so what does all this mean for us today? I have two applications for us this morning. The first one is an application of action, and the second one is an application of rest. So the application of action is this. We are to go to the world to be intentional agents of redemption to those who are lost and dying without Christ. We are to intentionally place ourselves in positions where we can shine into the darkness. And you know what? That's uncomfortable. It's not easy to do. We would much rather surround ourselves with other like-minded Christians. But I believe that God is calling us as followers of him to shine the light into the darkness. Maybe that means your neighbor that you haven't spoken with in a long time or maybe never. Maybe that means there's an inner city ministry that you can get involved in. Maybe it's somebody in your own family that you need to be more intentional about reaching out to. Go to them. Be the light that they need. You know what? I always used in Africa, Mark chapter 5, the story of Jesus with his disciples in the boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. The storm comes up. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus is snoozing in the, in the boat. They wake him up, and Jesus calms the water just by saying, be still. And I loved that story up speaking with Africans and with Muslims in particular who sometimes doubted the power of Jesus. I loved sharing that story to show that Christ has power over nature. And then Christ lands on the other side and he's met by the demoniac. And I love that story as well where Christ cast those demons into the pigs. 
And that man is restored to his right mind, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. And it shows Christ's power over the, over the demonic world, which is something that, uh, in the context where we've lived, has been a very real and present reality. I love those stories, but you know what? I think I missed maybe one of the main points of those stories, is that all of that stress that Jesus went through and his disciples had to go through was because Jesus wanted to save that one man. He wanted that one man to hear the gospel message, to have his life blown away, be transformed. And yes, that man was the one who would be the light bearer to his community. But that is a consistent theme throughout Jesus' ministry. He seeks out those who are lost. You see that with the woman at the well. You see that with Zacchaeus, the sinful tax collector. You see it with the demoniac. Jesus goes to the darkness to shine his light. And that is what we are to do if we want to reflect him. We need to go to them. And what does that mean? It's, it's pretty simple, I think. You just need to strategically and lavishly love on them. It's not complicated rocket science. It really isn't. I know there's all these like mission strategies out there with all these like, well, if you just do it in this way and there's these four fields and if you use the chronological Bible storing method or if you do, those are tools. But at the end of the day, it just comes down to love people strategically and lavishly. Get to know them. What makes them tick? What are their favorite TV shows? What are things they like to do? Jump into their world. Get to know them in that way. And then just pour out God's love on them. And yes, share the gospel when you get the opportunity to do that. So that is the action step for us this morning. The second application is that we learn to rest. We are the light of the world. You already are. There's no more uh, generation of light that you need to do. You already are the light of the world if Christ Jesus is already Lord and Savior in your heart today. And it is not up to you to transform the world or to start a revival in Weatherford, Texas. That is God's work. You can rest knowing that Jesus is going to do his work in the places where you shine for him. So Grace Covenant Church, Go out into the world and be the light that you were created to be. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today. We thank you for your word, which is true, which is sharp as a two-edged sword. And God, I pray that it would penetrate into our hearts today. And that these words that we've heard this morning about you being the light of the world would challenge us God, I pray that you would shine your light into Weatherford, Texas. There are people who need to know you. There are people who are lost without you. And Jesus, it breaks our heart to know that there are people dying without ever having known you, whether that be in Africa, whether that be in Weatherford. And Father, we pray this morning that your light would come to this place. Jesus, you are the light of the world who burst into the human scene 2,000 years ago. We thank you for coming. We thank you for dying on that cross that we might know you, that we might have purpose and joy and peace and salvation and hope and love. And so, Father, we pray this morning that this would be true of this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.